When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Screen Talk. I'm Eric Cohn. I'm Ann Thompson. And we have so much to discuss this week because we are on the other side of Oscar nominations, on the other side, more or less, of Sundance. And I'm exhausted. I'm sure you are, too, from a lot of movies and a lot of stuff to kind of process in a short period of time. Uh, before we get into that, on uh, on a serious note, uh, we did experience a real loss this week. In fact, the day that we're recording, uh, getting the news that Noah Cowan passed away. Uh, this was not a surprise to many of us who were aware that he had been ill for some time, but Noah was a fascinating and really singular character in, in the film community who I think impacted so many different people in different ways. And And you knew him a lot longer than me, so I'd like to throw it over to you to just talk a little bit about who Noah was and, and um, you know, why he is, you know, a, a really important for person for people to be aware of. He was somebody who came up through the Toronto Film Festival starting at age 14 as a volunteer and, and you know, pioneering, you know, the mat, the, 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 the mat, what is it, what was it called? The midnight Madness. Yes, you know, the Midnight Madness genre, section. Yeah, genre films. And so he was someone who, who had working knowledge you know a lot of film festivals you have the china expert and the japan expert or whatever he he knew everything oh he he, he tracked everything he was the most extraordinarily enthusiastic cinephile you could ever hope to meet and many of us met him on the festival circuit and i have very fond memories of hanging out with him at Cannes, not only in the morning over coffee at cafe roma after the the 8 30 a.m press screening but you know late at night at the hotel grand over uh, red wine you know when and, and it would that's what it was like at Cannes and when, with him and he was just the most extraordinarily enthusiastic but also analytic he was someone who looked at the industry not just in terms of filmmakers and discoveries but also themes and trends and what the industry was doing and so you could get into discussions about acquisitions with him he used to be a distributor at cowboy releasing and he moved from Toronto to uh, the San Francisco Film Festival. But at Toronto, he not only did the programming and was a co-director at the end of his, his TIFF career, but went on to be the, the head of the Bell Lightbox and did, and did exhibitions and retrospectives and, you know, uh, focused on people like David Cronenberg and Grace Kelly and, and Raj Kapoor and, and, and others. And then he went to San Francisco to SF film and made a lot of changes there. And it was very successful there uh, where they ran the New York, the uh, San Francisco Film Festival, among other things, and a lot of other development initiatives. Um, yeah, but he was somebody the, that a lot of people enjoyed hanging out with just because- Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, I, I, 
I always had a good time with, with him, even though he always made me feel like an idiot because he was <laughs> clearly, he, he always knew more. And it came, to, it was one of those things where it's like, there's a lot of people you meet at festivals and across the industry where it's like, they're really good at the business side, but you know, you know, you can dominate the conversation when you're talking about film history or about the quality of, of a certain kind of movie or something like that. But he he could just like go through each of those different kinds of tiers and like outsmart you. And I remember one time, just a couple years ago when he had moved off away from San Francisco and he was working as an independent consultant and uh, Julie Hunsinger had hired him at, at Telluride to consult there and he he was like why don't we get a drink after this screening and um, you can tell me everything that you think should be improved about the Telluride Film Festival and so I started you know talking to him about it and I realized very quickly that really he wanted to tell me why I was wrong about all these things <laughs> that I thought Telluride was doing wrong. And, and you know, it did, however that, you know, strategy came into place, it did actually have an effect. And I, I think there's something I think about when we lose people like this, like a couple of years ago with Bingham Ray from October Films, where it's like- There is a you, relationship between yeah, the two. These like really powerful personalities who are not always the easiest to be around, but are always like super sharp and, and real kind of like that warrior spirit spirit they have, the and they're supercharged yeah you know they had this sort of extra level of energy um and passion that was driving them and they were both slightly uh i wouldn't say hugely but but they were disruptors in a way my friend bob bernie just used that uh description um because noah was always thinking about new ways of doing things yeah new yeah, ways of, exactly. of managing festivals and and what could be improved he wrote for us about about what could be improved at festivals he wrote for a lot of other publications as well yeah i know he did a thing we we put him on an assignment to write something in 2020 during the pandemic about how festivals could move ahead and it's a piece piece people should look up because i think it was uh it was a really sharp way of seeing how even under, you know, what seemed like post, you know, apocalyptic circumstances for the industry, there was a way to think about, you know, how to move forward. So he leaves, you know, he leaves behind an incredible legacy, but he also has a website and a lot of the stuff he, uh, he did, you know, he posted a lot of his, his pieces and, and video interviews and so forth on there. If anyone's curious to check it out. So this may seem like a frivolous, uh, um, segue but you know i would have loved to know what noah thought about this year's oscar nominations and how the oscars could have been improved in general because uh you know man that that was an uphill battle for a, a lot of different sides of the industry to figure out especially during covid and so forth and now we have some oscar nominations and i don't know if any of this is going to improve the ratings but as expected they did get some bigger movies in there uh, i didn't go through it and see how much of your predictions were 100 percent accurate i, but I don't think anybody badly <laughs> I, I i did all right it was it, you know what i thought was fascinating was that it was predictable in all these different ways and yet it the big picture would have been unpredictable a year ago that everything everywhere all at once would dominate the way that it did is just it's, I, it's fascinating to see i will say that when i did my nominations i came up with 11 for uh for that movie which is what it got and uh i said oh we can't get 11 it and i backed crazy. off of david yeah. byrne for best song and something else and i i wish i hadn't of course um but i'm very happy for the movie it has a very strong chance of going all the way to best picture which you know just seemed unlikely for a movie like this with with hot dog fingers but it could happen <laughs> banshees of Sharon is in there too um you know it 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 actually got nine nominations along 
along with all quiet on the Western Front. Very powerful. Dominating uh, yeah. the, the, the various uh, craft nominations. And that's one that didn't have, I would say, an obvious kind of elevated presence. I mean, it premiered in Toronto, and certainly you could see as a German Oscar submission, it's the kind of thing that could could go far, but alongside a lot of other contenders for best international for it to dominate the way it has is one a testament to the Netflix campaign machine but also it seems like there there wasn't a, a war epic type of movie for people to invest in like 1917 and people, so it's sort of in you know that people plot. at the academy especially in the crafts revere period so this was World War One, you know. So it's about makeup and it's about production design and cinematography and all this this stuff. Uh, it, it's it's a lot. It it did better than 1917, you know. Yeah. So so we'll see uh, what happens there. That's most likely, as you said in your uh, in the international story we did. It, it's basically. Um, it's going to probably win Best International Film. Uh, Hard to but beat it, there. But for it to do so well and get get to Best Picture is is pretty remarkable. And Triangle of Sadness, which I consider to be a European film, even if it was in English, Ruben Oslin did better getting a, a screenwriting and a directing and a picture nomination, right. which right. is pretty, he'll, pretty remarkable. He'll, he'll lose all of those, but it's still... Indeed. It is sort of like revenge after he was... Um, snubbed that one time for uh force majeure that's right i mean i know the square Wonderful did better video. But... you should look that yeah up yeah too. <laughs> but now he's finally i mean now it's like he's like a, an establishment auteur in a way he's like that widely yes, respected across one the of the few who's been able to become established in recent years it's more and more difficult to become one of those yeah i mean and it's it's always great to see an, a, a non-hollywood filmmaker in best director for the Daniels to be in there sort of, you know, more recently becoming established there. And then for Ruben Ostland, I mean, there were times where we thought, Hey, maybe Park Chan Wook will get in there or something like Decision that. Decision to leave didn't even get didn't into even best get international. In. Yeah. So, so my that theory on that is that it was just too, almost too cerebral, too complicated to, you know, it, I don't like to think that there are people in, in the, um, international uh, committee who who couldn't get it but it, if apparently it, it left some people behind it was too smart for the room I also wonder if I mean director Park was in LA he was shooting a new TV show uh, with Robert Downey Jr and I I got the sense that he was he was hard to pin down a lot of times and I wonder if like from a campaign standpoint because he is a major director and the narrative should have been more about Park Chan-wook has never been appreciated this way before. It, somehow it was it was hard to like tell that story as as intensely as they, as they wanted to. Close well, Bardo it didn't out. get in there either. Bardo didn't get in. Yeah. Well, they got a cinematography nomination though for Darius Kanji. So clearly people great. were walking watching it and affected by it. Again, a competitive category. He's got two Oscars already. Maybe that didn't help either. It's unfortunate. And Guillermo del Toro ended up settling just for the animated feature. Nothing else. Right. After the whole best picture of it all, <laughs> but he will win that. Let's be honest. It's cool but to I see Marcel Duchamp in there. A score, you know, for Desplat. You know, that was a that was a snub uh, that I didn't expect. Well, John, maybe John Williams took that spot. I mean, did people even listen to the score for the Fablemans, or were they just like John Williams? He's ninety years old, and he did the There's Spielberg. There's a narrative. It's life. always yeah, about exactly. a narrative, and Spielberg went out it. and put him up there and made a big deal about it, and everybody was looking at all the movies they did together with a lot of themes that we yeah. all recognize. So yeah. there's a lot of love there, a lot. So should we talk about the weirdness of Best Actress? I don't yes. think any pundit got this one. 
there were people who thought that the campaign, the late breaking uh, Oscar voting period campaign from a lot of actresses in Hollywood for Andrea Riseborough, for two Leslie, would yield um, a nomination. I didn't believe it. I didn't think it could happen, but it doesn't take that many. It can be a few hundred votes right. and you can get in. And, and, best act, and best, the acting branch is, is a massive branch with a lot of influence. 1,300 so. people. But the people who didn't get, and the other person who got in was Michelle Williams, who had been looking, she didn't get a SAG nomination, so some people thought she was vulnerable. Viola Davis, who got every pre precursor you would want got shut out and Danielle Deadweiler who was always a bit of a stretch because a lot of people didn't see till she got shut out as well so that was that was a bit of a shocker I was surprised about Viola Davis because I thought that she would represent Woman King so that Woman King wouldn't be shut out right but obviously the actors went with you know Anna de Armas in Blonde Right. I mean, I, I'm, I love seeing a Cuban actress in the mix, obviously, yes. for, you know, the same reason I was happy Argentina in 1985 is an international Latin American performers and, and filmmakers, you know, should be recognized in this season. But it was fascinating to see that because that movie was so poorly received. And of course, she is a, 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 a white Cuban actress and, you know, it's a, it's a white category and I'm it's a very it white Oscars overall. I mean, what the hell happened with Nope? It's not like they didn't campaign it's a horror for movie. Nope. This isn't about race. Yeah, in the case it of kind nope. of is. It's about genre. It, it, and, and a lot of people, I know our, our writer, Chris O'Fall, got, got upset about the crafts ignoring because it was a beautifully made movie. It's so beautifully well done. But the precursors weren't there for Nope. It wasn't. Ha it, there are some guilds that came through for Nope when you have a lot of different categories, like uh, when you split up fantasy or uh, period and, and contemporary, but it, it didn't, it wasn't ever in but, the But I mean, this whole thing about genre, I mean, this came up with Shape of Water, one best that picture. It was elevated. It was, like, it was fantasy and romance. It was elevated. But Nope has so and much period, more going on. I mean, it's about, it's about Hollywood. It's about representation itself. And it is funny. I mean, people liked it. I mean, I heard Spielberg on a well podcast the, talking theaters. about it. Yeah, it it uh, it it just didn't get that kind. Of, the, the critics groups didn't do anything with it. Well, Kiki Palmer won actress, so I thought Kiki Palmer could have been in the mix, maybe in a less competitive year. So there was that. Um, there was a lot of she hosted SNL and all that kind of stuff, but fine. So then that movie just has to be sort of its own thing. Jordan Peele isn't hurt, right? He's still no, I'm more, this. I mean, he, they've come through for him in the past with Get yeah. Out, even though it was a genre film. It was right. so incredible. But he got brilliant. that sort of that first time filmmaker acknowledgement right. of we'll give you the screenplay. So yeah. that was a different it, kind which of is thing. Sarah, now, Sarah Polly's not a first time filmmaker, but that's what she ended up with. Was, right. And she's a picture, too. Yeah, she got picture would be great that that movie's Big in deal. picture. She'll probably win for adapted, adapted screenplay, where right. she was nominated once before on her her first movie away from her. So right. this right. is sort of like no, I was very happy. Purple. I had to make a choice between um, and what it basically came down to was was women talking or the whale going to get adapted screenplay and picture. It was going to be one or the other. And it turned out I bet on women talking just because it's also produced by the great Dee Dee Gardner, Jeremy Kleiner combo, and Frances McDormand, who was behind Nomadland. Right. So there was a lot of respect there for women talking, um, for the auteur Sarah Polly, as well as her producers. 
So the speaking of the whale, let's talk about best actor. So the whale has been creeping along, making small increments of you know two million ish dollars each weekend or whatever. It's up to thirteen or fourteen. It's doing it's doing really well, which is so surprising when you consider how many people heard about it or saw a trailer or whatever and we're like i don't know if that's for me well people are seeing it and i think the whole brendan fraser colin farrell conversation is much more competitive than most people realize i mean i've heard arguments both way but it does seem like brendan has it do you want to know why it's not going to happen that way likely he's the whale didn't get a best picture nomination i i for whatever reason in that particular category of best actor it's very rare for an actor to win without a best picture nomination. But I, I would argue, I mean, first of all, it's, a, it's obviously a weird year. I mean, look what happened in best actress for, for campaigns. And it does seem like if there was a performance to break that trend, it would be the Brendan Fraser one. He's been out there promoting this thing a so lot. So is Colin Farrell. And but I'm going to say Colin Farrell has the advantage. I, 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 I thought so for a while, but he's now overdue. I'm not so sure. He's also I, I agree, he's, but... he's an actor who is in A-list movies all the time. There's a narrative for Crazer, which is that he's he made this extraordinary comeback. It's a wonder. It's it's not a, a whole career of great movies. No, but like I, Colin Farrell is. But it is, I mean, many people in the industry, I think, have had to survive in this industry and not always make work they're proud of. And, and that is the Brendan Fraser. Yes. I think that's what Among it is. The actors. And yeah, and but I think he's but been not campaigning the whole academy. really well. Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, Brendan Fraser, there, there are people who are probably Academy voters who remember The Mummy when they were younger, too. I mean, remember, it's a wide, wide age spectrum. So I don't know. I think he gives and, a great performance. Well. I think that those are the it's between those two actors, but yes. it's also Austin Butler is also in there. Does I mean, he split Elvis the difference? Is a best picture that would be pretty crazy with right? eight nominations. And even though I figured his nomination would be enough, there are supporters for Austin Butler out there. And of course, the the staggering loss of uh, a Presley days after the Golden Globes. Not to say, you know, be cynical I hate to about think that it. That would but, have any impact, but but it's you never know with these things. I mean, so it's between those three, but also this question of does one actor siphon votes off of another or something to that effect. So that is a fascinating category to watch again. So actor is going to be a tough one to call because you could see the logic kind of flow both ways, but you still think Colin has the edge. So we'll, well see. He's how the got next the BAFTAs weeks. coming up. Right. True, so that's true. the next event that there's three. There's the SAG Awards. So we'll see what happens there. I predict that everything everywhere all at once will win at the SAGs. I think that it's possible that Michelle Yeoh will win and Ki Hui Kwan will win. Yeah, that's you know, as he's yeah. won everything and he'll win yeah. at the Oscars, too. Um, so it's 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 going to be it's going to be interesting to watch that uh, that impact moving forward that will be some some forward momentum for for everything everywhere but for best actor there will be forward momentum there too you know right right so that's it's going to be a, a real sort of like that's where the focus is going to be for the and next then the baftas are going to help banshees of anna sharon and they're going to help uh colin farrell and 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 that's that's going to be a nice night for, for Banshees, which didn't win anything at the Critics' Choice Awards. Yeah, I know. It was weird. Well, so Banshees, everybody I've talked to likes Banshees. I haven't really talked to a Banshees hater, you know, so 
I, I feel like if it wins something, it's got to be Colin. That seems like the one category it's in where he. No, Martin McDonough know, could win original screen. He could. He could. Yeah, that, I could think not. that could happen. Um, and and I think that uh, those are the those are the main ones. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. So and it then gets Tar. The reason that Kate Blanchett could be in in ascendance over Michelle Yeoh, even though I know a lot of people are rooting for Michelle Yeoh, uh, the reason that she could win anyway is because, and she's been winning a lot, is because of uh, that could be the one win for Tar. And Tar well, is very strong. People actually. really like. Well, I, that's what I was going to say. I think actually that Todd Field has a, has a more of a shot than Martin McDonough, even though I'm sure Martin McDonough really wants that after his last movie getting nominated in the same category. Uh, because Tar has just been chugging along as this, you know, really exciting piece of cinema all year. And that's the kind of category where it could win. Of course, last year, it seemed like maybe it was PTA's year to finally take it. And then it went to Kenneth Branagh. I think so. Spielberg will take director. And that's a we'll no lose. So that if we talk about the Fablemans, which has yes. been the front runner all this time. Not so much now. It's Toronto bad place to be sometimes <laughs> so um you know it 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 did very well with seven nominations and this time kushner got in which which is good but but the 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 problem the problem here is that it if you match up directing and editing the fablemans didn't get in there and that's that's a big deal you 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 want to you want the best picture winner to be in both of those categories which everything everywhere is and Banshees is and Tar is. I think ultimately the narrative of Fableman's in spite of it seeming like a best picture front runner for so long was Spielberg himself. That's right. That all the enthusiasm, even the, the kind of commercial potential that was envisioned for the movie was tied up in Spielberg. So That's right. of course it's like a no brainer when you think about it in retrospect. It's a different best kind director. of movie. Yep, yeah. it just fits into that. And then, you know, the one other category we should not skip by is documentary. I think documentaries is fascinating because you have a movie like uh, House Made of Splinters that nobody was talking about a year ago. I mean, it, it premiered at Sundance very under the radar, ended the year pretty much not really having distribution. So suddenly that's in the mix. And if there's anything I actually that can, saw uh, win, the movie as soon as I saw it, I predicted that it would be uh, one of the five nominees the other four were all expected i was glad that laura poitras got in even though she yeah. won before for all the beauty and the bloodshed the house of made of splinters is an extraordinary movie and it's backed by the denmark universe of josh oppenheimer and his his colleagues yeah but at the end of the day as you say i mean with all the beauty and the bloodshed being in there and being so well respected it does seem like it's still the front runner in that category They'll you also have all that breeze again. You don't think so? I, no. I, I don't know if that's if I it think works it's that Navalny. way. All the time. Navalny's going to win. It could because be Navalny. It's so timely because it's, because it's so accessible, it. so exciting. But, it, but what is the most exciting movie period? I mean, Navalny to me is a timely work of jur journalism, whereas all that but it's beauty. It's exciting. It's, it's nail biting. All the beauty is also nail biting. You have those dying I and mean, the kind of activism. I'm not arguing about I mean, what's good about all the beauty and the bloodshed. It's <laughs> a great movie. A, it's a genius movie. I'm, I'm arguing about the Academy voters across all the different categories, sure. mainstream and sophisticated, European and American. What's the one that they're all going to like? It's not all the beauty and the bloodshed. I don't I don't know if that's true, because the, the movie is emotionally affecting in a way that I hear from a lot of people is it leaves an impact on them. 
I mean, I do think it's a very competitive category. I don't, I wouldn't think that all that breathes is going to win because that's a very quiet kind of delicate piece of filmmaking. Maybe it doesn't. If anything, it would be fire of love. If right. It's which not, is commercially it's successful. Navalny, right. Because it did so, very well at the box office. It did it over itself. a million. Yeah. 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 So that, so that's an interesting category to look at in, in a lot of different ways. I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens now and who steps up their game from. If uh, you were to imagine if, that the Academy is 66% male, what would be the movie they would vote for among the docs? Because everyone's voting just for the movie that they feel most seen by. So they'll vote for the movie that's most masculine. Is that what you're saying? Or no, well, well, <laughs> I'm trying to follow would have the logic the most, here. What, which one would attract them the most and make sure that remember a lot of these people don't see all the nominees, which is sure horrifying and terrible, but they don't. They see the yeah. ones they No, want to I know. See. I've I've heard people tell me that and I always guilt them for it. I mean, it's absurd. They should watch all of these. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if I can answer that hypothetical. We'll see. I sound <laughs> confident, but you know, we shall see. We shall see. There's lots there's certainly been a lot of surprises already this season. So I was at Sundance. Uh, you were missed. We did a fun screen talk live on Main Street. It was great fun. I watched it. You Thank heard you everybody say hi to that you. Was very yeah, nice. yeah, that was nice. Um, what was it like? I'm curious because you know, we all did the virtual Sundance the last two years, but a lot of people I talked to on the ground were kind of like, what does it feel like to be doing Sundance now, knowing and hearing about the in-person happening simultaneously? Well, I was experiencing real FOMO, really horrible FOMO. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was also about, for odd reasons, I mean, I, I had flashes of being, you know, people would send, you know, put up posters, pictures on Twitter or whatever, and I would see the Eccles, you know. There's a moment <laughs> where you enter the Eccles and you see where all the little clusters of distributors are sitting for a big movie that hasn't been bought yet. Yeah. And you kind of, you know, and there's the Amazon group and the the Netflix group and, and, and roadside attractions and Sony pictures, classics. I can like imagine exactly where they sit, you know? Yeah. And, and you hang and for me, I would go in and see all my friends and hang out and, and talk to people and, you know, talk to people I didn't even know about what they liked. And that kind of buzz yep. building is what goes on there. And you feel the room, you feel how it plays. So I saw Fair Play, the movie that was picked up by by Netflix on my sofa. Um, but it was, it, and I enjoyed it and I saw how good it was and I saw why they picked it up. It, it's a genre that has been neglected of late. It's, it's sexy and romantic and it's an office drama. Um, a thriller. It, it goes to sexier places and more thrilling places than most movies. And it was legitimately believable. It, it wasn't yeah. crazy. I like that was, movie quite a bit. It was well acted. And, and, uh, and what do you know about the director? Uh, well, she is someone who has directed in TV. She's done some episodes of Ballers, among others, but um, has been has made shorts and has been trying to work towards a feature for the last decade and, and fell into TV. But Ryan Johnson and Ron Bergman's production company has has more recently sort of made some first look deals with MRC to uh, and, and others to, to advance the careers of first time directors. So this is one of the first. So if you think about that and you think about the Knives Out glass wow. onion connection the 20 million dollar deal that everyone's talking about for that movie through to netflix makes a lot of sense um and and i think this movie you know is it an awards movie i don't know i don't know exactly what the plan is for it but it's something that could do very well on netflix because it's you know 
it's saucy, it's 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 edgy, you know, but it's also something probably a lot of people can relate to. I and mean, it, it plays young. It, I will say yeah. young 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 women especially are going to get yeah, those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there's something about it and where it's, it's got like the Bridgerton star. Bridgerton <laughs> star and, yeah. and Aldo, Alden Ehrenreich. And I think um, I think it, it could do well. And it's, it's a commercial movie for a different kind of commercial market, you know, not a theatrical market. Even if, you know, the director told me earlier this week that they're expecting some kind of theatrical life. We'll see what that looks like. I also really like going to the Eccles. It's interesting hearing you talk about that because my first screening, the Eccles this year and the first time and, you know, since uh, January 2020 was for Magazine Dreams, a movie that still has not sold, uh, which I can uh, see why <laughs> really divided people. Um, well, it's but- a very tough sit. It's a tough movie, but it's a really involving and memorable movie. And I I loved watching it in that theater. You could argue that it has a lot of endings and so forth, but it's so unpredictable for what it is. And that Jonathan Major's performance as it's extraordinary. This he gives rest, an amazing as body physically like transformative. God. Yeah. Uh, one of the greats. One of the greats we've I worry seen though, in the if, 80s. You, if we're gonna talk about Oscars here, um, you know, it, it's an Oscar worthy performance, but you still have to get past getting people to watch the film. Yeah. So it's gonna make a big difference who picks it up. Yeah, who picks it up and when it's reintroduced to the conversation because we don't really know what the rest of the field looks like either. But what's fascinating about that, I mean, we had some good conversations on the ground with Jonathan Majors, and uh, he's about to go into Marvel mode with Ant-Man and whatever other MCU stuff he's got cooking. So He's a star. He's a star, but he's he's about to get even bigger. Yeah. And so I wonder how that influences the way that this movie is being discussed and his availability to promote this thing and, and so forth. But uh, but the echo screening, I, I'm telling you, like even when I saw some people leave um, because they couldn't take it any longer when cer- certain kind of wild stuff happened, it was great to see it in the room with with that kind of thing, even if, you know that doesn't necessarily mean it's an easy sell. I hope more people make stuff that isn't an easy sell. I mean, I'm, some of the best experiences I had at this Sundance and others were, were with movies that- The frustrating know, thing sell. for me was that I couldn't um, see some of the films. So A24 kept past lives past unavailable lives, yeah. for people at home, even with a good press pass. Um, and, uh, you know, that was frustrating for me not to be able yeah, to see Yeah, and that Flora, Flora and Son- Lauren's son was another one which sold to Apple for $20 million. So um, I did see Earth Mama, which uh, they screened for us here in LA, which was very kind of them. And that was an excellent, excellent movie. Yeah, very strong debut from Savannah Leaf. I, I was really impressed by that. But uh, but I did see Past Lives. I can see why A24 did what they did, because if you look at the enthusiasm for this movie, it's a, it's a quiet um, sort of romantic three-hander it's about a love triangle it's based on the director's own experiences she's a successful playwright this is her first feature uh, in real life she's mar- she's a, a korean american woman married to a white guy and in the the story is about essentially that and her her character's childhood sweetheart from korea comes to visit and it's it's kind of just one long movie sort of conversation about the different kinds of tensions between Korean identity and American identity. I thought a lot about the before trilogy, Linkletter's before trilogy, the way it taps into those rhythms. But because of that, you think about like, well, 
does this movie have the same impact if everyone's watching it at home at the same time they're watching it Sundance, or can you just get that really enthusiastic response from a handful of screenings and then everybody else really wants to see it? It goes to Berlin next and it's in competition. Maybe it wins something there. So that there's may like have been in- part of the reason they couldn't yeah. make it available. Well, there's it possible probably there's more to do practical. with Berlin. But I think it'll be a, an incremental thing with this one where it could be an awards. I mean, honestly, if when you see it, we can talk about it more, but I, but I I felt like it could be an original screenplay contender if it stands out enough and there aren't some, you know, noisier kind of higher profile movies. So clearly it's it's going to be the slow build with that one. Um, so the, it's it, there's a lot of interesting kinds of discoveries that came out of this year's sun. It's a lot of first time filmmakers making noise we had a great party for first time filmmakers actually on, on main street more FOMO. More really? FOMO. no but you'll you'll make it to the next one I'm, I'm 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 hoping because uh that that kind of effect of of people who um you know were not known coming to sundance and getting really good screenings and, and starting to take meetings with agents and so it's forth it's a whole part of it it's yeah. happening it's still and they're all still meeting each other as they trudge through the snow or they go to the cinetic party or they go yeah. to the hbo party. and wait in line <laughs> i had fomo about that too those were my t- two parties that i always most enjoyed i was on the fence because I, I went to a screening and then got to the cinetic party like shortly before midnight. And, you know, we were joking with John Sloss about this uh, when he was on the podcast uh, two weeks or last week, you know, that I was going to need him to pull me in, but he was busy on the dance floor. I had to find my own way in and, and I did, <laughs> I got in and I saw everybody and it was ridiculously loud. And there were people there who were waiting to find out what was going to happen in the morning, which was a few hours away. And yes, I got about four hours of sleep as a result, but it worked out okay. I mean, it's just for for short periods of time, you can stuff this into your schedule because you're so invested in all of these things, seeing the community and doing your job. And, well, and you're home now, but I've got this long queue of movies I have to watch before they expire. Well, I have to. I mean, I, I'm hoping the next few days to look at more docs and international. So maybe next week, if we have time, we can we can look at some of those and we'll see. Let's talk about the docs. Next yeah, time. I mean, also I haven't. Um, I haven't many, had a many chance docs to... are introduced at Sundance that go on to the Oscars every year. Yeah, and I haven't had a chance to to watch a lot of the docs because I ended up prioritizing different kinds of things just in the short uh, period of time that I end up having. I mean, even being there five days often doesn't feel like enough. So I do appreciate the virtual component kind of being complimentary in, in that sense. And as we're recording now, we don't know what won the grand jury prize. Uh, Sundance is doing that as a sort of Friday afternoon thing this year as opposed to a the big uh, kind of explosive show they've done in the past. So so we'll get that by the end of the week. And then hopefully you and I can see that movie and, and, and kind of discuss what its possibilities are. And then meanwhile, what happens now? It's still awards. We got just a few more weeks of all of this madness. So I'm sure we'll have some kind of update on all of that soon. And uh, in the meantime, I'm going to catch up on sleep and I'll see you soon. Please do. All right. Talk <laughs> Bye, to you later, Eric. Bye-bye.